Well, if you were to enter the words songs about home into a search engine on your computer, there is no shortage of what will come up. Everything from Dirks Bentley to Kanye West to Motley Crue to Michael Buble. Simon and Garfunkel tell us that home is where their thoughts are racing. Philip Phillips tells us that we're going to make this place our home. John Denver tells us that it's country roads that lead him back to home. Leonard Skinner tells us that their sweet home is in Alabama. And that great philosopher, Ozzy Osbourne, tells his mama that he's coming home. So now why is it you think that there are just song after song after song, all these different genres from rock to country to hip-hop to easy listening, even heavy metal, There's no shortage of songs about what, church? About home. And if so many people are singing about home, it's because they believe that their audience can relate to the idea of home. Either we have had a good one and we have fond memories about home, Or we make it a goal to create a good home. If maybe we knew what it was like growing up to not have one that was as good as we might have wanted. And so the number of times I've heard people uh, when I go to visit people in the hospital. Back when I used to be able to do that. And I know I will again, but when you go see somebody in the hospital, and, and what, what is one of the first things they tell you? Boy, I can't wait till I get to go home. Or sometimes at the end of a vacation, and I've had some vacations that just weren't quite long enough. I know some of you probably have too. And you think, boy, it would, would have been nice to stay one more day. But then there are also times that it's like, hey, it's been good, but I am ready to get home. At the end of a mission trip, as, as blessed as my time in Central America might have been, but believe me, after 10 days, I'm ready to get on that plane and go home. Even visiting people in nursing homes. They would often tell you, oh, I hope I can get out of here because I want to be at home. And it breaks your heart because you know that that's, for for many of them, that's probably not going to be a reality. But it's just a reminder of where they want to be. There is something about us, there is something when God created us, that we have this internal desire to be in this place, a place of familiarity, a place of comfort, a place that just feels safe to us. We just want to be home. 
And we look in the book of Acts, and I want you to hold that thought about home for just a little while. We look in the book of Acts in chapter 6, and if you've been with, if you were with us last week, and actually no, not last week, because last week I took a break from the book of Acts, didn't I? But if you've been watching, following our services on our YouTube channel, you know that ever since Easter we have been in the book of Acts, looking at life through the lens of the early church, some of the challenges they might have had in the midst of some of the challenges that we are experiencing now. Looking through that lens. And we look today at Acts chapter 6 beginning with verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this is a common theme in the early chapters of Acts. That the new church... They didn't call themselves Christians yet. They were just members of the way. They were followers or disciples of Jesus. And we see over and over again, Scripture tell us, Luke, who wrote Acts, reminds us, it makes us aware that the church is growing. And so, where we left off a couple of weeks ago was that there was a problem that had arisen that some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so there was a, kind of a dispute that arose between the, the, the uh, Aramaic-speaking Jews and those that were Greek-speaking or Hellenistic Jews. And so it, it, there again, it, it comes down to your background, where you're from. And there was, there was a problem with these groups of people meshing as easily as we might have hoped. Meshing as easily as the twelve would have hoped. And so that's when they appoint people. And that's when Stephen is appointed because the apostles say, you know, we need to be devoted to the daily preaching and teaching and to prayer. That's what we need to be about. We don't need to abandon the Word of God. We don't need to abandon telling people the good news of Jesus to do this kind of labor, this nuts and bolts kind of stuff. So let's appoint some people that will do this. And that's where we get the idea for deacons because the same word that's used in the book of Acts that means to serve is the same Greek word that's used later on when, when Paul tells Timothy and Titus to appoint deacons. And so these men are appointed and Stephen is among them. And so we read in verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Now, church, where does his wisdom come from? It comes from the Spirit. 
It wasn't that Stephen had some great seminary education. It wasn't that Stephen just knew everything there was to know. It's a reminder that when God calls us into a particular type of service on behalf of his kingdom, that he equips you as is needed. And so Stephen here now is is someone who has such wisdom granted by God's Spirit that the people who are opposing him, they cannot debate him effectively. Verse 11, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous, blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, verse 11, bearing false witness here, they say, we've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And yet it was Jesus himself who is quoted as saying, I did not come to abolish the law, but to what church? To fulfill the law. And so Luke is pointing out that, you know, these are just bold face lies. And, and so everything was going swimmingly. They had a problem. They corrected the problem. Life is a series of moves and counter moves. That someone or something moves against us, moves against us our plans. What does Paul tell us in Ephesians? That our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against humans, in other words, but it's against the dark forces of this world. That there is evil among us. There is evil in the world. Not something that's fun to talk about, but it's something that... Using scripture as our guide, it's necessary to be reminded of from time to time. That So there are forces that work against us. It was not that many Wednesday nights ago, we were still doing the, the series on, on prayer. We're going to resume that once we're all back together. But where it was discussed that, that the forces of evil try to hinder our prayers. They try to thwart our prayers from being heard in the throne room of the Almighty. And that's one of those things to think about. Wow, really? But yes, those dark forces of evil, as Paul describes them, are working against us. We so easily get consumed with issues with one another. And Paul says, don't do that. Love one another. The issue is with these forces that you cannot see, this invisible enemy. And so, and so uh, Luke reminds us of the purity of Stephen, of the goodness of Stephen. That's why that verse is in there when it says, They looked upon him and his face shone like the face of an angel. It's to remind us that through all this, 
that Stephen is innocent of these charges. Just like Jesus was innocent of the charges that were against him. And so everything was going along well. They had a problem. They appointed men to take care of the problem. And they keep moving right along. But then what happened, church? Well, people happened, right? It's kind of like creation. Things were going along. God created something and said, that's good. And then he gets to the crown jewel of his creation. Those that are created in his image, the human creatures. And then it doesn't take long. You turn the page and then they exercise their free will and then it all goes awry, doesn't it? Yeah. Everything was going great and then people happened. And we see that in life, don't we? That could be your new mantra. Boy, everything was going great and then people happened. Yeah. And sometimes the people that happen are us, right? Sometimes it's us that, that get in the way of someone else's plans. But we look further down at Acts chapter 7 beginning with verse 59. Because Acts chapter 7 is this amazing speech that Stephen gives to the Sanhedrin. And I know when I, I preached this once before some years ago... And I'll say it again, if you've not read that speech, take some time this afternoon or uh, this week and read Acts chapter 7. Read the way Stephen sums up the story, really the gospel story, the story of God and his people up to that point in history. And so we pick up with verse 9, while they were stoning him because they hear, they think he's guilty of blasphemy. And, and the punishment for that crime is death by stoning. And so while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And we think back to a couple of weeks ago. We think back to what that rabbi named Gamaliel said when he addressed the Jewish ruling council. When he says, you know, men, there have been other people that claim to be somebody. There have been other people who claim to be the Son of God. And what happened? There was a little bit of an uprising. They got a few hundred people to follow them. But then once they were killed, it all just went away. And so he tells them, so it's like this, guys. If this, this new way really is of God, it's going to last. And if it's not, it'll die out just like the rest of them. And so, as I've said a couple of weeks ago, here we are. A couple of thousand years later. 
here we are, still worshiping. Persecution broke out. They were going from house to house, dragging people off. And yet Christians loved God enough, were committed to following Jesus enough, that Christianity survived, didn't it, church? I don't know what's going to happen in our lifetimes. I don't know what's going to happen. I kind of expect to be around another 20, 30, 35 years maybe. I don't know. But the reality is tomorrow may be it for me. But there are some people in this room that are still going to be here 40, 50, 60 years from now. What are we going to see in our lifetimes? How is our faith going to be challenged? What are we going to be willing to do, willing to put up with, willing to endure? That's a question worth thinking about, I think. But something we have to realize is this idea of home. That for us, it's not here, is it, church? This isn't it. As much as we find ourselves children of God that we are, as much as we find ourselves saying, you know, I want to go home at the end of a vacation or at the end maybe just of a long day at work. I just want to go home. It's easy to say, it's understandable to say it, but we have to realize that this is not our home. So that brings us to the desire to get to our real home. In 1953, there was a Navy pilot uh, flying in Korea. He was uh, stationed aboard the USS Shangri-La. And he was on a mission. <clears throat> and it was at night. And all of a sudden, the instruments on his plane's dash, if that's what they call it, all his instruments go out. Now imagine... You're in a fighter plane. You're alone in that plane. It's at night. You got no headlights. You got nothing that tells you the direction you're going. You've got nothing on the dash that tells you your current altitude. All the things that's really helpful for a pilot to know. How high am I flying and what direction am I currently going? All that is suddenly gone from his instrument panel. That pilot was Jim Lovell, who we would know later from astronaut fame. The mission commander of Apollo 13. But that night in 1953, long before his connection with NASA or the wearing the title of astronaut, all he wants to do is get back home. 
his home being the Shangri-La, that aircraft carrier. Because the only other option is swimming with the fish that evening. And he didn't want that. And so before his radio goes out, he is able to radio the carrier, alert them to what has happened, and then ask them for their location. There was no moonlight. The the crescent moon wouldn't arise for another four hours or so. And so he starts doing what he can to navigate himself in the general direction of that ship. And so he finally notices something. Off in the distance, he notices these two trails. Am I working? Well, I hope you can see the two. There we go. This is something that ships, not ships, thinking about cookies or something, I don't know. We'll get cupcakes tonight if we come to senior night, right? But something that ships in the ocean churn up is algae. And it has this quality to it known as bio... Luminescence, thank you all. It's like, it's a long word. What was that word? I, I rehearsed that word. Bioluminescence. And so, yeah, there, it creates this trail. And it's like these two streaks that are glowing coming off the wake of that ship's propeller. And so, later in an interview, when someone asked him what's been the most challenging thing since you've become a pilot, he tells that story of that night in 1953 in Korea and trying to get back to his ship. And he says, lo and behold, there it was. He says, these two streaks that were guiding me home. And man, of all the landings that Lovell had on an aircraft carrier, I imagine that particular one was especially sweet. That he was especially grateful to land his plane safely on that deck that particular evening. Because life doesn't go right, does it? Life goes wrong often. Something moves against us and there has to be a counter move. And the number of times, Christians, that God provides that counter move for us. We read the first two chapters of Matthew's Gospel, the birth narrative that Matthew writes about Jesus. And the number of things that could go wrong, go wrong. And yet God is still faithful, God is still present, God is still there guiding them into the right. There are moves and there are counter moves. And so it's understandable that we have this desire to want to go home. What we have to realize is that this place is a place to endure hardship. Yes, it's going to have some fun times. 
There are going to be those beach moments. There are going to be those times when we are with people we love. And there will be times when we get together with people we haven't seen in a while. And we reminisce about fond memories and days that we share laughs. And I hope you can manage to laugh at something most every day of your life. But the reality is that this is a fallen world. And there are going to be heartaches. There are going to be disappointments. And so we have to realize this is not our home. We make this our home for now. But don't expect too much of it. That's the reality, church. Don't expect too much of this place. Because this is not, nor will it ever be, the world God intended for us. Not until God makes all things new and we are in His presence for eternity will we know what God intended for us. Stacy and I were recently watching the final episode of Band of Brothers. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, it follows a group of men from their training in Georgia all the way through uh, the end of World War II. And there's this, uh, this comment that's made. The narrator uh, uh, makes the comment, you know, as someone from... As, Written as someone from some the view of someone I'm trying to say that was in that group of men. And he says that when we were in Birches Garden, Germany, he said we thought it was the most beautiful place we'd ever seen. And he said, and then we saw Austria. And boy, the cinematography is just incredible. I've never been to Europe. I've heard good things. I've seen pictures. And I said to Stacy, I said, isn't that just gorgeous? Look at that. And there they were moving through the Alps. And one of the guys makes the comment, I don't know if we're supposed to climb them or ski down them. But boy, he's, he's just taken, they're taken with the beauty of this place. And I said to Stacy in that moment, I said, as beautiful as that is, just think what God has in store for us. Just think what God has in store for us for all eternity. And if you're like me, you're looking forward to be, being reunited with people that you miss. People that you love dearly. As we conclude our time together today... Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Paul reminding us there that we are members, what church, of his household. Let's remember that this world is not our home. As much peace and joy and celebration as we have in this world, 
We're going to be celebrating with two of our young men tonight, and I look forward to that. We'll be in the auditorium at 6 o'clock. But in this world, on this side of glory, there's also going to be disappointment and heartache and tragedy. And we have to remember, we have to live in such a way as people that know that this world is not the end-all, be-all. This is not our home.